you're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, friends, and welcome. So glad to have you here. I have as my guest, Miss Melanie Boudreaux. She and I met when I messaged her on LinkedIn a few months ago. So you may recall I said that whenever I come across someone who is a leader in the community, whose first priority is to serve those around them, I'm going to try to get them on the podcast. Well, I loved what Miss Melanie was doing to help her students at my alma mater, where she is a professor. So I slid into her DMs, as they say. And the rest, as they also say, is post-pandemic history. Don't you think in the coming decades we're going to refer to the past as pre-pandemic and post-pandemic? Where you're telling a story and it'll be like, well, that was back before COVID. What's neat about that is it'll be universal. Unlike, say, 9-11. You can't really say back before 9-11 in Indonesia and they'll know what you're talking about because they won't. But before the first lockdown, everybody will know what you mean. And the operative word there being first. Let's hope there's not another one. Melanie Boudreau is an assistant professor at Nichols State University, where she teaches human resource management. She's also faculty advisor for the Society of Human Resource Management and also works as a human resources director at Environment Safety and Health Consulting Services. She's now enrolled at University of South Alabama, where she'll soon finish her PhD in business management. She's married to Mr. Benny Boudreaux. They have six-year-old twins, which is actually the first thing we talk about today, parenting. I haven't known Melanie a long time, but I feel like I've known her forever, and I'm sure that has to do with us being from the same part of the world. Well, that, and she has the same speech patterns as a blast from my past. Some of you listening will know exactly who I'm talking about. Some gals are so razor sharp that they are. They often finish your sentence for you, and you might think, well, that's annoying. (laughs) No, it's not. It's endearing. But the person I have in mind, who shall go unnamed, and today's guests are two of the hardest working, most energetic, and academically successful people that I know. And thinking back, I remember watching this other person have a conversation with one of her best friends, and it could have been a master class on the quicken brain and mind reading (laughs) and just quick chatter. I must have listened to them talk for 20 minutes, and neither of them ever finished a sentence. It'd be like, but hey, gal, that little boy over there is, and then they both go, oh my God, so cute at the same time. And then one would start a sentence, the other would get excited and jump in. <laughs> neither of them ever completed a thought. So you've heard me talk about the, lo- the lost art of conversation, how it used to be this dance where you'd both be on the same page, and when you are, it flows like a babbling brook down the side of a mountain. Or as my good friend Fadu Baby, when I had him on, said, he was referring to driving an Audi A7, and he said, bruh, it it drives like butter. (laughs) So great conversation is like butter. It's a fun dance. But if you're not on the same page, it's like they're dancing hip-hop, which is what these girls would be doing with the fast maneuvers that they were pulling off. And you didn't get the memo, so you're doing the waltz while the other person's doing hip-hop. That's what happens when you're not on the same page. And it's all kludgy, and it's not fun to be a part of that conversation. But 
it takes Stephen level, Stephen Colbert level quickness of thought to be able to do what my guest today can do. It takes a high level of focus and energy, which is why I found it so interesting to learn that my guest, I keep calling her my guest, her name is Melanie, she'll be at a slumber party among friends and be the first one to bed, even saying that she doesn't like to be without her car because when she's ready to go to bed, she's going to bed. And I believe that speaks to the energy expenditure required when you've got a, you got the quick tongue to match the big old brain. <laughs> but what do I know? These are my observations. Melanie and I, as I said, we discussed parenting. She has some excellent suggestions and tips for how you can ace your next job interview. We discuss texting etiquette, email etiquette, human nature. We get into where each of us falls according to the big five personality traits, whether we're neurotic or more or less disagreeable, high or low in trait openness, conscientiousness, etc. In fact, Melanie's research is really interesting. She's collected data to be analyzed on whether someone high in extroversion is more severely impacted by the negative effects of social media use, which we get into a bit also. And of course, fun questions at the end. All right, let's get to it because I promise you this. You're going to like Melanie as much as I did. Please enjoy my chat with Miss, Miss Melanie Boudreaux. Miss Melanie, thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. You were telling my wife you have twins. I do. We have a tough time handling one. How do you handle two? Oh, my goodness. So the first two years, two to three years, was absolutely insane. They were, like I was telling you guys earlier, were on completely different schedules. One was on one three-hour schedule. One was on another three-hour schedule. And we just kind of divided and conquered. Thank goodness my mom lived about a block away, would ride her bike to my house. That's so helpful. <laughs> oh, yes. I was kind of telling him that I... Can I tell the story of when I... Please. Okay. So I um, went to a doctor's appointment. It was like the first time that I had gone away from my kids. And it was about an hour into the doctor's appointment. And I um, got a few phone calls from my mom, freaking out, because she was watching the kids by herself. I was like, oh my goodness, she could handle it. So I just kind of kept pressing ignore because I needed a little <laughs> break. And then I went and get Chick-fil-A and I sat in my car and it was the first time that I had stopped and actually ate a meal um, since I had them. And it was about, they were about a month old. And so I just remember like, oh my goodness, is this what my life has come to? <laughs> and I was like, this is the only piece that I've had for a month and a half. But oh my goodness, now they are six, about to turn seven in a few weeks. And um, I am so blessed, and I couldn't imagine my life any other way. But the first two years, I'm not even going to lie, it was very difficult. I can imagine. How long did your husband take off work? Really, a few weeks, maybe. But my little girl slept all night from, like, day one, or, or like, right when we got home. She slept pretty much all night, like six hours, which Whoa. I consider all night. And he doesn't really require a ton of sleep. Um, so we would kind of just... At first, the first night we came home, we swaddled them, put them in this bassinet. We were thinking, okay, it's going to be great. Nope. Like 15 minutes later, one started screaming and then woke the other one up and they both are screaming and we're like, oh my goodness, how do we adjust to this life? I didn't even think about that. They must wake each other up all the so time. So we had to keep them in separate rooms at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Did oh, you ever yeah. tell your mom that you declined her calls several times? No, but she's going to hear about it now <laughs> on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> I was watching, Sorry, Mary. <laughs> I was watching a YouTube video that yes. you did with a lady who said that she was a grandmother. Yes. I it was so funny that she was giving 
texting etiquette advice because normally grandmothers aren't the first person you would choose to do that sort of thing. And that is her, Miss Mary. That is my mom. Oh, that's your mom. That's my mom. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. One of the things I thought was hilarious was she said, be careful with personal texts. And then she gave an example. And her example was she gets a text that says, hey, just letting you know that I'm in the hospital and I'm going home today. The doctor said my hemoglobin is low, so I needed to go straight to the hospital. And she was like, well, what am I going to do? She says, I can't call her since she's at the hospital. So let me just call her work to see if, see what time she left work. And well, she answered the phone. And I was like, T, I thought, I thought you were at the hospital. <laughs> so, and that's her sister. Yes. T. So her lesson in all this was what she sent me was a screenshot. So be careful with your text. Yes. I'm like, oh yes. my God, that's something my mom would do. Yes. Get a screenshot. I also thought it was hilarious that her first thought was, I'm going to call her work. Like that is so, right. that would be so far right. to me. But I, well, I she's like, so she knows everybody that works there. Yeah. Actually, whenever I found out I was having twins, I FaceTimed her because I was at, I had just left the doctor and the doctor was like, okay, you're not having one, you're having two. Because I knew I was pregnant. I did the blood work and everything and they did the ultrasound and they were like, oh, there's two. And I was freaking out. My husband mm-hmm. was so excited. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You're insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we FaceTime my mom. And, you know, when you answer a FaceTime, you would think that she's like in her home or in a private location. No, she was at her sister's work at the bank. <laughs> and so everyone at Synergy Bank found out that I was having twins before the rest of my family mm-hmm. knew because my mom was on FaceTime and she started screaming. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Small yeah. town stuff. Small town. Yeah. Thibodeau. She also said, be mindful when you send emails. Yes. She said that she had received a business email like at 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday. And she was like, I'm not going to reply at 4.30 on a Sunday. Right. And I was thinking, I don't know that they were expecting you to reply at 4.30. <laughs> so some of her stuff, some of her stuff was great. Y'all did this hierarchy of communication, but some of it made me laugh out loud. LOL. It's true. Um, and I have kind of thought to be more mindful of that because I am an early bird. So I wake up at like, you know, five o'clock and I check my emails and I drink my coffee or whatever. And so I send these emails. I used to send these emails out and I was like, and then people would call me at like six or seven freaking out. And they were like, Oh my gosh, I just saw your, you know, and I, people feel compelled. They do. Especially now after COVID, I find Uh, that people more are now like always on their phones, always emailing because that's how we've been communicating mostly through COVID. Yeah. And so I find that it's even more so now people feel like a response and urge more than ever. Interesting. Yeah. I'm usually better about this, of not seeing things through my own perspective, but I am so wired to not give a shit what time they've emailed me <laughs> that they need to expect that I'm not going to get back to them until business hours. I love that thought. But not a lot of people think no, like I that. Know. They feel compelled to reply as soon as possible. They get antsy and nervous. And my dissertation chair, he only works at night. And so he only sends emails at like 2.30 in the morning. And when I first got an email from him, I'm like, what is going on? Like, is this, this is how he works. Is at 2.30 in the morning. And that's how he sends his emails. But I love it because he sends it to me. And then I have the whole day to work on it. And I know he's not going to look at it until at night. So then I send it to him at night. And then he checks it. And then he sends it back. Did you ever contact the virtual assistant that I sent to you? I did, and I'm so excited. Um, I'm making my list of things that I want to start. Yes. 
because the cool thing about having a virtual assistant in the Philippines is that they're about six hours behind. So when you wake up in the morning, whatever you want done done. is in your inbox. It's really cool. Yes, very, very excited about that. Another thing she said was she made a list of words not to use in a professional setting. The only one that I recall that I didn't think was a huge problem, but she seemed to think so, was no problem. I found that interesting. So when somebody thanks you, ideally you would say you're welcome. But she said people are turned off by no problem. Why is that? Okay, so I've been more conscious of this since she told me about this too. Because when you say no problem, it's almost like you're dismissing what you've done for the other person. Not that you need the other person to go above and beyond and do all this stuff for you. But it's a reciprocal you need to say you're welcome because if you went out of your way to help somebody and then you say no problem, it's almost like dismissing what you've done to yep. yourself internally too. Agree. So um, I am more conscious of it and say you're welcome because I also think that that you should own what you've done to help that person. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I agree. Something else that was said on this video. I like the video. But oh good, I'm glad you like it. Three minutes. I'll link to it in the show notes. Because it's good information to have because so many of us are working from home and doing Zoom meetings and people don't know proper etiquette for this sort of thing. It's all kind of new to us. I used to, I'm a big believer in you have to manage your boss. And so one of the ways that I would manage my boss is by never setting the precedent that I was available between 8 p.m. and 7 a.m. I think once you do it, the rest of your career, you'll be doing that sort of thing. Is sipping coffee okay on a Zoom meeting? So, I love that question. It depends on who you're with in the Zoom mini. So, if you were on an interview, I would not recommend that you pull out a coffee cup and just chill and sip coffee. And like I know right now, I have sunglasses on my head and I can tell you guys a story about a student that had sunglasses on his head for an interview. But you don't want to look too casual especially on an interview, especially if it's with your boss. If you're in like a financial meeting, no, you need to show. I mean, the nonverbal communication will come across in a Zoom meeting. Like, I mean, not as much as in person, face to face, but on Zoom, they can see, are you paying attention? I can see if really you can see if you're clicking through different screens, the light changes on your face in Zoom. So like I could be like, oh, he's not paying attention. He's online shopping. You know what I mean? So you want to make sure that you're as attentive as possible. So I probably would not sip coffee unless if it's like a friend's, co-workers, peers that you're really comfortable with. Then, yeah, I would. I was just thinking about Jeffrey Tubin. Is that something that y'all discuss in class? No, tell me. Jeffrey Tubin was the CNN anchor that was caught with his pants down, <gasps> touching himself. Yeah. On Zoom, and he thought he was off of Zoom. He thought right. the video was off of Zoom. Yeah. Yes. I had a student on a jet ski in Zoom. So last fall, we switched to all online classes um, for COVID. Um, so this was about a year ago. And I had a student. He was on a jet ski. And I think he was doing it, obviously, to be funny. <laughs> but um, I was like, what are you on his video on his jet ski zooming into class? I'm like, there's no way you were paying attention. No way you were paying attention. Well, there's software now that can sift through the folks on the Zoom call and determine how much people are paying. attention. Really? And then they'll send a report to the boss. Do you know the name of the software? I don't. Okay. I need to look this up. 
it may just be in beta for all I know, but we did that have, sort of thing is coming. I did have a student tell me, this was not in my class, thank goodness. She actually went to another university, but their class was on Zoom, and she said that someone in her class forgot, supposedly, I don't know if this is true, forgot his camera was on, and went up to, like, I guess go to the bathroom or whatever, and had a towel on, and yeah. Yikes. Yeah, so I'm thankful that that did not happen in my class, or that I know of. <laughs> Do you know anybody that uses software other than Zoom nowadays? Zoom has become yes, a verb so like Google. Yes, so some of our, like, um, 401k meetings and benefits meetings, they'll use Google Meets, mm-hmm. which I'm not really a fan of anything but Zoom. I hate to say that, but I've just become so used to it. Yeah, when you send a... a Google Calendar invite, mm-hmm. they include a Google Meet. Meets, yeah. Link. So maybe that's why. Yeah. Just easier. Same software. Zoom stock has really taken off. You could have got it's that zoomed. sucker at IPO. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's why I invited her friends. Dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I've been singing this song to my daughter that goes, I love the boogie nights. And I do my uh, my fingers like guns and kind of so point we have them a video out of this? dance. And my wife makes fun of me for... Did she video you doing, doing this? Dad, no, I don't think so. Well, no. who knows? But <laughs> I'm have to ask her. <laughs> for doing uh, dad dances, it just happens when you get older. You just start doing that, yeah. kind of stuff. I, you know, I try to stay relevant. I still listen to rap music, but I'm gonna pull out the oldies. Old from rap time music. To time. I listen to all of it. I'm st- I'm on the baby and the new stuff. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Do you know who the baby is? No, but I'm proud of you. Yeah. You've never heard the song Rockstar? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you Googling I'll send you a link. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, so on the top of the communication hierarchy... Yes. ...is face-to-face communication. Yes. Do you think our interpersonal skills are diminishing? Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. Why do you say that? Because now everything is text message. Everything is email. Everything is... I mean, and I know COVID obviously has not helped with this, but just eye contact, like, and... And handshakes, I mean, obviously we couldn't handshake, we couldn't shake hands for COVID, right? Um, But just the way people interact with each other, the interpersonal skills I feel like have been lacking even before COVID because text message, texting Mm -hmm. and online and social media and everything is online. So much is online now. Yeah, I mean, I don't even pick up the phone and call my best friends anymore i mean it's mostly text and mm-hmm. even if we're gonna chat on the phone we'll send each other a text and to ask say can when chat. can we chat yeah and i have a problem too with people who call when it's convenient for them like we all have yes. a friend who only calls when they're on their way home from work yeah and they never give any thought or consideration to what you're doing right so, maybe i'm feeding the baby or whatever right yeah i actually had to tell my best friend chase if you're listening he called me like five times in a row and i was not able to take the call damn it chase and yeah i told him dude i need you to text me like give me a heads up say hey can you chat in 20 minutes or whatever right and we'll make sure that it happens right but i've seen things recently surveys and stuff that say young people don't like to be put on the spot right which they believe a phone call is being put on the spot because they don't have that time to right, react to, to react and to think. think what they want to say yeah it's crazy so like my babysitter she's if she listens to this i love you i was texting her the other day and then i like pick up the phone because i was like it's too long to text i'm just gonna call and she didn't answer i'm like she just texted me but they just i mean they just don't like and i don't know she might have had something going on but I, I just find that's very calm even with my cousin maggie um she is just like 
she will not answer your call, but she will text you right back. People feel like it's invasive now. Like yeah. you're invading my space to if call you them. ring my phone. Yeah. 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 And who answers a call now from a number that they don't recognize? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even happen anymore, right? Correct. You get a lot of bogus calls? Yes. I get text messages every day from somebody wanting to buy a house that I own. It's every single day. Really? Yeah. How do they get your number? I have no idea. I guess I'm on a list somewhere. You must be. But it's smart, I guess, because if you're going to get a deal on a house... You want to get to them prior to right. them going officially on the market or being foreclosed on, headed to short sale. And if you can just mass text a list of homeowners, that's that's awesome. I hope people don't fall for it. Every once in a while, I'll reply and say, okay, if you got 200K, we can talk. And, you know, the house would be worth like 160 or something. And they go away. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy how often I am spam texted. Oh, yeah. And called. And called, yeah. It's getting out of hand. Yes, I just don't answer. I had a buddy who was telling me the other day that he was at a restaurant and there were two young girls, probably 18, 19, behind the counter. They were like hostesses at this diner. And he struck up a conversation with them. Were y'all closed during COVID? Uh, How long have you been working here? Just a casual conversation. And he said when he walked away... He turned around and looked at them, and they were, like, gawking, like, with, like tongues to the ground. And I told him, I said, why? you know why that is? It's because young guys can't do that. Got Young guys can't, can't have a conversation. Right. Yeah. I get that. So a young girl is enthralled by an older man. I mean, this guy was my age, basically. Who can and actually have a conversation. These girls like, 18, 19, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I love this guy. He just had he a just actually had a conversation with me, with me. yeah. Crazy how easy it is to separate yourself nowadays as a young man. Very true. I love what you do to help your students prepare for the real world. Thank you. I got to witness it firsthand when I came down to visit you guys. Yes. Do you do mock interviews with them? I do. That is so cool. That is so beneficial. We do them face-to-face, and we also do them um, online. Because right now, a lot of the interviews have been Zoom um, before you get like you don't even get to physically go to the company right now with COVID and everything. So a lot of times we are doing Zoom interviews just for the first part. And then if we you know, feel like we'll call one or two in to actually interview them. And so we practice face to face interviews with my students and we do Zoom call uh, like Zoom interviews as well. And. We record them and the whole class watches. So, yeah, no, they hate it at first. But then I get so many emails like I need to show you some of them. And I just start crying because they are like, thank you so much. I got this job. I would have never known what to do. Like I have goosebumps talking about it. Like I would have never known what to do. Um, And I know it's not all me, but it's it's a lot of it is just practice and just putting themselves out there. And so before we watch them on on the big screen in my class, I tell them this is like a safe space. Like you don't make fun of anybody. This is not what this is for. This is for you to mess up right now so you can actually get the job that you really want. And you're not messing up in that interview because you have I think they said what seven seconds to make a first impression. Like research has shown like as little as seven seconds. I believe it. And it takes up to 20 positive subsequent impressions to reverse one negative first impression. So if you mess up at the beginning, they, they've written you off. So I'm, I'm trying to let 
my students not get written off and then they get to make the decision as to where they want to work. Seven seconds. Yeah. So I often give advice to young men who are seeking a suitable mate. Okay. And they're curious as to what they should say. And I always tell them, it doesn't matter what you say. What you say is probably the least important thing. As little as 7% are the actual words that you say. Oh, that makes sense. So 93% is nonverbal. Correct. You hear that, fellas? (laughs) And... If it works out, neither of you are going to remember what was said initially. Anyway. Oh, I do remember what my husband first told me. What did he say? He told me I had something in my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? I hated him. <laughs> I did. And I was actually going on the interview, which I'm so thankful that he told me this. Um, but yeah, he told me you have something in your teeth. And I, that was the very first thing he's ever told me. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Benny. Yeah. People but are, normally you don't. Yes. Yeah, people are usually embarrassed by the early days of their relationship. I had a girl one time. I was I was laughing at something that was said in our early texts, and she grabbed my phone and deleted our entire chat <gasps> history. And I was like, oh, I kind of I like I liked having that. But it's easy to see how yes. one would be embarrassed by what's said in the courting phase when you eventually versus yes, yeah. So. Is interviewing a skill set? Yes, I think it can be learned. I think it definitely can be improved upon and learned. But I also think a lot of it is nonverbal communication training. Your tone of voice is also nonverbal too. So the way you sit, the way you hold yourself, your posture, eye contact, obviously, the way you shake somebody's hand. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a bad handshake, but that could ruin, like... (sighs) Or the people that crush your hand or they are too soft. I hate when somebody like tries to shake my hand and they don't think that like I'm strong enough to shake somebody's hand. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, you should have a good handshake. You should have good posture. I think that all of that can be improved upon. The way you dress for an interview is so important. We talk about that. And Nichols has this great program where on the third floor of the College of Business, we've had people that donate suits and shirts and ties and clothes and all of our students that are in that are college of business majors get a whole outfit if like they can go and shop basically and so they they are it's we call it our business closet but they will be ready for interviews cuz they have shoes they have ties they have everything up there that people have donated new or gently used some of them still have like tags on them and so our students don't have to like go to Walmart or or you know JCPenney or wherever we provide that for them that's like the ante or the stepping up to the plate to be like everybody else, how do you then make yourself stand out? I think by following up, I may, I have my students write handwritten thank you notes. They wrote you some. Yes, I loved it. Yes. Made my day. Made my week. All of my speakers that come in, we practice, and how to write a good thank you note. Um, and look, if you don't have time to write a, a, an actual letter, I have them send an email. Um, but we talk about how to send an email, how to follow up. And I think just... Showing that you're going to go the extra mile and, and being confident in yourself. So I think that that's what's, what's kind of lacking is people not really being able to express what they can do for the company. And so I think that that's going to make them stand out. And I'm going to choose that candidate over someone else that's done research on our company that knows our, our values and knows what they can bring to the table to fit in and make our company better. And so I try to help them 
um, write their cover letters in a way that is like, this is me and this is what I can bring to you guys to make you guys better. Because they're going to have to sell themselves uh, because like you said, everybody's going to dress professionally, hopefully, but some don't. You would think that that would be. Everybody's going to embellish on their resume a little bit. <laughs> I don't say lie. I don't think you should lie at all on your resume. Um, but you need to let your resume be a very good representation of yourself, your best self. Because that's what you're bringing on an interview is supposed to be your best self. And should you always have a cover letter? No, not necessarily. But it always help. It, it would help if they if they ask for that. Like, so if they just say upload a resume, you don't necessarily have to upload a cover letter, but I would, ex a lot of times I tell them, take your cover letter, copy it and put it in the, in the subject of the email. I mean, in the um, body of the email. Does that make sense? So oh, if they yeah. not ask for a cover, cover letter, have something prepared to be like, this is why I should work here. I had another gal on, Nicole Rodriguez. She was the CEO of a... PR firm and when I asked her what young people struggle with the most she said written communication yes is that what you're finding too yes uh, that's one of the things along with the nonverbal soft skills and that I try to work with them on but the written communication part I work with my students on how to send an email and if you watch that netiquette video as well we talk about it on there that email was very good so I'm I'm always surprised to see young people start an email with Melanie and then I whatever. No, you've got to you've got to have a, a yeah. hi, a hi. something, hello. Hello, how yeah. are you? And then you've got to skip a line after right. the comma. Right. And she talked about having bullet points, which yes. is so important because your email is going to be scanned before it's read. Yes. And so you want to make it easily scannable. Yes. And if you have questions, make them stand out. I always encourage people to put the question at the end, no matter what else you say. If you say at the end, can you get this proposal signed by the end of the week? That is compelling. They're going to probably reply to your email. And I tell people this a lot too, that the email that gets opened the most has thank you in the subject title. So these little tips are invaluable, and I'm so glad to hear that you're helping college students to prepare, because I don't know where else they would get that sort of thing. Me either. Um, and so I tell them, share the netiquette video with your friends, people that aren't in college, whoever. Share it with your mom, dad, whatever. Um, I think because it talks about like even texting tips, and I think it's just so invaluable because especially, like I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody that I would have to scroll three, four times down this email page and it was paragraphs of stuff that I'm like, what does, what is he asking me? Like, I'm so confused. And he would send it to so many people. And I'm like, I don't even read him anymore because I don't know what he wants. And I just pick up the phone and call him because <laughs> I'm like, okay, wh what do you need me to do? Tell me what this is. Sum, sum this email up for me. <laughs> yeah. People often don't think strongly enough about how something's going to be received mm -hmm. by the other person. Mm -hmm. They're just too wrapped up in themselves to be that other directed, like, okay, if I were reading this, is it clear what it is right. they're asking me to do? Right. And she says in, the, in there, read it over a few times to yourself out loud or have somebody else read it over, especially if it's a really important email Yes, and you're, you know, really wanting something to get communicated, then yeah, make sure you go over that. Yes. And there are writing courses that you can take because internet writing is different from what the writing was that you were taught in school. As an example, 
the two spaces after a period has gone the way of the dinosaur because of internet writing. So now it's more common to see only one space after a period. Another example would be your paragraphs should be kept to about two or three sentences. You don't want to have a paragraph with eight sentences. Little things like that. Agreed, especially in an email. What more can you tell us about texting? Has that changed? One of the things I like to say is, I tell people is that when texting started, when I was like 20, it was not cool to text with another dude. So you talk to dudes and you would text with girls. Really? Yeah. That's how far we've come. I mean, things have changed a lot. Wow. Just some texting tips. I would not text your boss unless if they text you first. Um, I would not text just like, I mean, somebody that you're looking to interview with, like that should not, unless if they text you first. And, and she says on the video, you know, ask, you know, can I text? Because I know one of our salespeople, this was years ago and not where I'm at right now. Our salesperson texted like an older client and he had a multi-million dollar account with us. And he got so mad. He almost pulled all of his business from us because the salesperson sent a text message instead of picked up the phone and called him. Whoa. And it wasn't like a big like conversation. It just like, you know, hey, I'll see you here then or whatever. But that older man. So, I mean, I think you need to also look at the generations, too. I mean, I know things are becoming more tech savvy, but you don't want to send a text whenever it, it could mess up a multi-million dollar account. I always felt like once you got into a texting relationship with a boss or a customer, that was where you wanted to be. Right. So right. view that as something to aspire to. Right. Right. And hopefully they do it to you first. Yeah. Yes. Especially if you're the subordinate in that situation. Correct. Anything else that people can do to make themselves stand out on an interview, whether it be on a Zoom call or in person? So I do, I have this one story of one of my students went through my classes. He did the mock interviews and he was up against this other candidate who was not from Nichols. He was, this other candidate had more experience than him, had a higher degree than him. And the other candidate came into the interview with the, with sunglasses on his head. And the boss told him, so my student got the job. And it was like a $70,000 job, which is a great job for somebody like right out of college. Like normally that's not what they make. Um, but he had been like an intern there. They knew him, got the job over the other person because they said that the other person looked too relaxed and he had sunglasses on his head and he did not look like he really wanted this job. Mm-hmm. And my student did. And so he called me and he was like so excited. And I was like, yeah, you know, like that's the stories that I'm like, okay, Thank goodness, because he would have missed out on an awesome offer. That's a $70,000. Putting sunglasses on your head, $70,000 a year. What's unfortunate is you usually don't get honest feedback when you don't get a job. Correct. So he was told that he had sunglasses they on his head. They did tell him that that's why he didn't get the job. That's so good to know. Yeah. And even when you get feedback, it's usually BS. So it's one of the reasons I encourage people to mock interview. If you don't have a coach or... A professor who will help you get a buddy and just tell him that you'll do the same for him when he's I recommend for a videoing job. it too because you can pick stuff up. Like somebody was like tapping their foot and they didn't realize that they were tapping their foot. Somebody was chewing gum and they were like, Oh my goodness, I didn't even realize I had gum in my mouth and they were smacking and like I, somebody else had said something about it. 
And so that's why we watch it in front of the whole class because even the class picks up stuff that I don't pick up on. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they did do that. I didn't even realize. But I had one one guy come talk in my class. Uh, I don't know if you know Jonathan Terrell, JT. I do. He's amazing. Yeah, I emailed with him yesterday. No way. So he taught me uh, in high school. I taught his daughter at Nichols. And now he is the athletic director at Nichols. Anyway, long story short, he came and talked in my SHRM group before he was an athletic director, uh, which is uh, my student group, Society for Human Resource Management. I have about 50 students in that group. And we were talking about interviews. And he said, this was when he was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And he said, if I am interviewing somebody and they have chipped fingernail polish, he says, I dismiss it, like dismiss them right away. He said, they don't look like they're put together. And so he always told his daughters that they need to make sure that their fingernails are either like clean, they have nothing on them, or, you know, have them fixed nice. Because he said, if you're not paying attention to that little detail, then we don't want you working here. Now, look, I might be misquoting him, so don't take it out on me, JT. But (laughs) I think that that means so much because it's true. You don't know what somebody else is going to look for. So you don't want to give anybody a reason to rule you out. You want to be the one that makes the decision on if you want to work there or not. Yes. Do you talk about leverage at all? Do y'all get that far into it, like negotiating yes. multiple we, offer situations? We kind of we do, and a lot of times it's very very specific to that situation. So they'll call me after, like they'll. It, it's more of like a we. I've created the relationship with them where if something comes up like that, they can reach out to me, and so we talk about it. And so this one student, uh, Alexis, she just recently had two job offers or th- or three maybe, and it was like all at one time. And I was like, you need to make sure that you are feeling, you know, feel out which one you want, which which one that's most right for you. And don't necessarily, I mean, money isn't necessarily everything. I know you talk about money and finances and all the time, but you want also to like where you work and love, love going to work and not absolutely hate it. And so I know that money is not necessarily the number one motivator. Well, and it shouldn't be for people that age. I assume you're working primarily with 22, 23, 24 yes. year olds. Yes. Yeah, you want to work to learn and grow that you'll and work know to where you're. Later. Yeah, yeah. She called me and, you know, I kind of helped them. How would you handle this? And actually, um, you asked about, you know, how would you stand out, right, on an interview? And one of my students, this was maybe a few weeks ago, they emailed me and they said, how would you answer this question? The question was, why should we hire you? How would you answer that? That is a great question. <laughs> it is always asked. Always. You we always ask this question. Be prepared to overcome objections. So how would you, so how would you answer that? With what you're dealing with is a lot of what I'm dealing with, which are younger folks and the objection is almost always that they don't have experience. Correct. So I would give the same answer whether they're using it as a negotiating gambit, which you can't know for sure. But a lot of times hiring managers will say, I have guys on my team that have 15 years experience, mm-hmm. so I can't pay you X. Mm-hmm. If that guy's been in the corporate world for a while, he knows that the guy who has 15 years experience is that often means nothing. Mm -hmm. You would much prefer a guy who has six years experience or three years experience. A lot of times they're hungrier, they're Mm -hmm. more motivated, Mm -hmm. they've got more energy. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, I would tell them that, 
So I'm so big on habits and routines mm-hmm. that I encourage people to, to say things like, I'm someone who. So for example, the habits and routines that I've developed through the years have greatly benefited every organization I've been a part of. Great. And then you can talk about what those are, whether yes. it's baseball or Boy Scouts. Or, then talk about those habits. Like, for example, my, my work day doesn't start until it's finished on paper. So mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, all of my tasks are there. And the ones that I tackle first are the most difficult. So if there's a difficult conversation to be had, I once read a book called Crucial Conversation. You know, like yeah. mix in these little And be very specific. Nuggets. Yeah. I want to do those things first because... A lot of times when my peers are starting to drag a little bit at 2 p.m., mm-hmm. I'm going downhill full speed because I manage my energy well. My habits and routines are in place to where I can put my head to the pillow at night and I'm worried about three things. Was my day productive? Did I do what I said I was going to do? Did I serve others? And if I did all those things, then I know it was a good day. Most people are just trying to get through the day. I'm someone who strives to get from the day. And this is how I'm going to make your company better, you know, by by bringing this to you. Yes. If I come to work for you, I'll be on time. Mm-hmm. I'll work extra hard mm-hmm. and I'll make you proud. Mm-hmm. I want to be on your team. Love it. And so I kind of similar, very, very similar as I uh, kind of type something up for because he was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know why I'm, you know, and he, he had never taken my class. This was his girlfriend had taken my class. And so she was like, help help. <laughs> so I kind of typed up a little something and I was like, obviously you need to tailor this to who you are as a person, but you would want to say like, these are my personal values and these values match your company values mm. to show that you've done research on their mm-hmm. company. I have the keys that you guys are looking to hire with these values. You want somebody who's honest, trustworthy, has respect for others. And this is what I have. And this is how I, I have shown this throughout my life. And like you said, give examples And it doesn't have to be something major. Just kind of let them know that you're not BSing them. I know with time and training, I will deliver on these promises and I'm a go-getter. Like this is why you should hire me over somebody else's because I'm a go-getter, right? And so you can mold me to what you want versus somebody that's been here for 15 years and that's going to be harder to to change them. Yeah, because being coachable is so important. Mm -hmm. So that question that you posed is probably going to be one of the later questions. So I'd like to think that some of that was probably brought up, but you can really tie it all together at the end with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I like that. And usually it's made easy for you because they put a job description out. And so you just match your talents to that job description. Yes. And I tell people, tailor your resume to that job description. So like if, if they have what they're looking for in that job posting, that they're looking for a passionate, creative, whatever, you put that those exact words on your resume because that's what they want. Yep. And usually the person that wrote that job posting is the HR person that's going to be hiring you. Yeah. And so that's exactly what they're looking for. Don't miss that opportunity. So in my sales career, what I tried to do was develop a champion in the account, which just means somebody that's going to go to bat on your behalf So I would have to get them to different departments within the organization. But the same concept goes if you're selling a product or you're selling yourself. Build a champion, somebody that really likes you in the account, and then they can talk you up better than you can ever talk yourself up. Yes. Energy is important, right? Yes, very. (laughs) (laughs) They can't see me smiling. Talk about energy a little bit. Okay, so I tell my girls this often um, that I work with. Smile when you answer the phone, even because people can feel that 
you know, smile and, and people can feel your energy even through a phone call, right? And a lot of times, even in a text message, I recommend if it's a friend or if it's somebody that you've on that, that, that texting basis with, put an appropriate emoji in there to let them know that you are smiling or just put a haha or whatever, because sometimes people can read okay as you just the two letters, okay. Some people absolutely hate that. They think that you're mad and they don't know what's going on. But if you put okay smiley face, they're like, oh, they're fine. Such a good point. This is one of the things that I think has changed through the years along with it used to be uncool to text with <laughs> guys. But it used to be I'm among my friends. I'm glad you've gotten friends. over that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it used to be among my friends that we knew each other and would consider each other's personality when something was said. And therefore, you don't need to put a laughing face or a ha-ha mm-hmm. or an LOL after what you say. But I remember the first time I did this, I was emailing with somebody I worked with, a female, and knew that it could have been misconstrued. And we obviously had a good relationship. We had worked together several years. But I had a sentence that I replied and put LOL after the sentence. And I thought, I'm probably going to be doing this the rest of my life. You probably that, will. Yeah. Yeah. But that's changed. I think because so much of communication, most of communication nowadays is written, that has totally changed the game to where a lot of people are going from an Instagram message to their email, to their text, yes. to Twitter DMs. Yes. To, and so you don't have time to consider, well, what did Mel? I know Melanie. So yes. she wouldn't say that. No, they're right. just going from screen to screen to app to app right. to PC and replying real quick. I mean, if you've ever watched a 17-year-old girl on the bus, <laughs> deal with eight different conversations at once. It is amazing. And I can promise you, she's not taking time to consider whether no or way. not you intended to be funny. No way. No way. Crazy. Great points. I agree. Okay. I was reading something that Mickey Smith said, PhD professor of management. That is one of my professors. He's actually on my dissertation committee. Yes. Okay, he's, he was discussing a scholarship you recently received. I did. And he said, you are a perfect candidate for this award. You're an exemplary doctoral student with a high level of intellectual curiosity backed by years of real-world experience. So let's talk about each of those. Intellectual curiosity a lot and of big words. <laughs> your real-world experience. So intellectual curiosity i i looked up the word i did too because you googled it you well you said i'd like to talk about intellectual curiosity and i was like let me just google this just to make sure that i'm we're on the same page that's awesome (laughs) i googled the word mendacious yesterday what is that and do you know well no i don't obviously i'm gonna give you the (laughs) definition first please do because this amazed me mendacious means not telling the truth or lying. Hold on, that was a default search engine that I don't normally use. I literally asked my six-year-olds this morning, do you know what honesty is? Tell me what that means. And they're like, it's like when you're honest. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, tell me. Like, what is, I don't know, mom, that's a hard question. I'm like, okay, because I just wanted to see if they could like actually articulate mm-hmm. what that meant. That's so interesting. They can't. <laughs> You know what makes you likable in addition to the other qualities is that most people wouldn't tell a story that reflected negatively on their kids because they'd be so concerned that people would think their kid is stupid or whatever. I like that kind of thing. (laughs) Okay, mendacious. Given to or characterized by deception or falsehood or divergence from the truth. 
or from absolute truth is what it says. Do you know that there's a picture of Donald Trump no next way. to this? Can you believe that? You know, the joke used to be if you looked up the word idiot in the dictionary, there'd be a picture of whoever next to it. Wow. This is this has become real. You wow. Google the word mendacious and wow. Donald Trump's picture is next to it. I, I couldn't Why believe Why did that. you Google that word, though? Like, what made you? We don't know. I was reading. Okay. I came across the word in the book. You would be shocked at the amount of journal articles that I've read for my PhD program. And I'm like, I have no freaking clue what this word is. And I've Googled so many words because that has helped me just get through an article, get through a paragraph. Mm -hmm. But I've never heard of mendacious. That's interesting. Wow. You believe? No. I can't either. I mean, I can. I know. Yeah. Intellectual curiosity is curiosity that leads to an acquisition of general knowledge. It can include curiosity about such things as what objects are composed of, the underlying mechanisms of systems, mathematical relationships, languages, social norms, and history. It can be differentiated from another type of curiosity that does not lead to acquisition of general knowledge, such as curiosity about the intimate secrets of other people. I guess that would be gossiping. I don't know. So... This guy thought enough of you to say that you were intellectually curious. Is that something you've always had? Yes. It's even to my detriment. <laughs> my brain never stops. And I kind of told you this earlier. I don't know why, but I just am always, I feel like maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. Like I, and I kind of want to be. Like that's, that's, I feel like I can always improve and always grow. So I listen to, I think I shared with you, a lot of podcasts. I listen to, um, I read a lot of self-help books. Most of them are on mindfulness. And just, I know, so you guys talked about this on the last podcast. And I was just thought that was so interesting because that's kind of where I am right now. Um, but I've always wanted to make myself better. Always. And so I know I'm far from perfect, way far from perfect. But I feel like we were kind of put on this earth to grow and help others. And so if I'm not growing, then what am I doing? So I feel like I'm very always wanting to find out more. I ask a lot of questions probably to Mickey Smith was what he was like saying, because she probably asked so many questions, but I just want to understand. I really, then that's what my research is a lot about is about people. And I really want to understand why people think the way they do and why they do the things they do. That's what I'm most interested in, especially how that carries out in the workplace. And so my um, dissertation uh, topic is on people's personalities and it's actually on social media. Um, and I studied a healthcare facility, a hospital. I looked at their employees. They allowed me to survey their employees for my dissertation. And I looked at how social media and how people's personalities are interacting in the workplace, especially in the middle of COVID. I'm working through that data right now. So I'll share my results with you as soon as I, I get them. <laughs> The same location that I got this definition of intellectual curiosity, it says, In antiquity, the Roman philosopher Cicero wrote about our innate love of learning. He said, So great is our innate love of learning and of knowledge that no one can doubt that man's nature is strongly attracted to these things, even without the lure of any profit. For my part, I believe Homer had something of this sort in view in his imaginary account of the songs of the sirens. Apparently, it was not the sweetness of their voices or the novelty and diversity of their songs, but their professions of knowledge that used to attract the passing voyages. It was the passion for learning that kept men rooted to the sirens' rocky shores. Very cool. Very cool. 
I'm a big fan of Charlie Munger, who's like a 93-year-old billionaire, investor, philanthropist, lawyer. He is a student of Cicero. So much we can learn from the Charlie old school. Munger. I'm writing all. The, I'm taking a lot of notes. Yeah, Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's right hand man. Okay, I remember you talking. Those guys, they just read all day and they make big concentrated bets on people. So they study human behavior too. That's fun to me. People and companies. Big smile. You can't really see. But that's yeah. fun. That's fun to me. Me too. I I like to think my think of myself as a student of human behavior and why people behave do the, the things way that they, they do. do. Yeah. Have you researched how strong the sex drive is, for example, that somebody like Bill Clinton could throw the presidency away over no. that urge? No. That's always fascinated me. I think my dissertation some... chair would frown upon that <laughs> if I add that into my research. Yeah. Yeah. There are just some urges so strong that people would throw away everything. And that's so interesting. Throw away their family and their job and even the presidency of the United States. I never even really thought about it like that. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, like what, what throws people off course? But, that, okay, so I'm listening to the Bible in a Year podcast. That one, I'm just like shocked at the amount of things that have happened over the years that like we still see happening today. Like people in family fighting. I feel like it's this human pattern of behavior, the way people have been acting. Like obviously we're not, you know, as barbaric as back in the day, but I just find it interesting to see like the similarities and the parallels of even just today from years and years and years ago. Yeah, because human nature doesn't change. Hasn't changed that much. I mean, I think we're, we still have it in us to be barbaric. We have that capacity for violence. But we're so prosperous nowadays that I think people don't want to screw it up. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost an underlying recognition that we have it so good despite what we profess there's a lot of complaining going on despite how good we have it correct but deep down they've got to know that (laughs) you have this smile on your face (laughs) yeah there's been so much progress otherwise we'd see more conquering yeah dictators and things like that it's interesting well the history of the world is is conquering and and i feel like i'm learning a lot about that that i and look i've been to catholic school my whole life since i was four years old and so I still feel like just listening to the Bible in a year, like I'm learning stuff that I had not known or learned about. So I think that's even just history. It, it's very interesting. I'm reading for the first time the rise and fall of the Third Reich. And I've always been fascinated by how the cult of personality mm-hmm. still occurs today. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading about how Hitler, who was an artist who spent time in poverty in Vienna Mm -hmm. and struggled to feed himself. He was so broke, but he wouldn't get a regular job. He didn't have any friends because he had an off-putting personality. How did he ascend to the top of the ranks in Germany? Well, one, he was a good orator. But today, whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump, we see that today where people follow these great orators. And would run through a wall literally for those guys or take a bullet or whatever. That's always going to happen. You know, there were things that preceded the rise of Hitler, which were 
things like destitution and poverty and inflation and and when you get somebody who's a good speaker there's nothing more powerful than the human voice to persuade you to do something mm-hmm. yeah interesting and that kind of goes back to the podcast that you guys had the last one um talking about Eckhart Tolle totally totally yeah um and about the ego mm-hmm. and so he I was listening to him on the way here and um he was saying that about the ego and about like Hitler and so that that was like his ego and so he gets all this power and then his ego just feeds itself and it just kind of turns into this disastrous mess and so how different that is than your your presence and your internal so y'all had kind of talked about that on your last podcast you see a microcosm of that during covid where people want to tell others what to do Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. thrive on that power yes it's it's what Hitler did on a small scale. Like he wants to have people subordinate themselves to him and pledge allegiance to him. And somebody who's walking around the grocery store, just MF and somebody for not wearing a mask is seeking that power over them. They want to feel superior to them. It's disgusting, but it'll always be with us. It's human nature. I don't know if you listened to this episode. I think it was called emotional intelligence with Kisha and she's On a yours? licensed and mm-hmm. marital therapist. I'm writing this down. Okay. I didn't hear this episode yet. Yeah, it would be like a family therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm trying to remember what she, what she said. Mm, shit, I don't remember. Human nature. Mm, I don't know. This happens from time to time. That's, That's why okay. we have editors. You're going to crop this out? <laughs> this happened when I was giving the talk to you guys, the three things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you were like, you forgot the third thing. Write in your journal. I can't believe that I forgot three things. They say it's easier to remember things in threes. And I had recited that a hundred times. I don't know what happened. Oh, can you tell them the tip about how you remember people's names? Did you tell them? The one as it pertains to you or the one that (laughs) pertains to most people? Well, there are certain things that aid memory. Emotion is one of them. But location is really important. It's why... You can remember something that you heard on a podcast. Like, you can remember exactly where you were. Yes. Well, when you place things in certain places in a house, for example, it helps you to retain them or have a memory of them. So, what you want to do is create something about them that helps you remember them. So, when somebody says, in the first place, that is derived from this memory palace I did not sort know of, this. Sort of tactic for for learning which is which is placement so in the first place and then it'll help you remember in the second aware of that okay you asked me how i remember names okay so one you just want to non-obviously repeat their name so if melanie introduces herself find a way to repeat their name back to them but that's not what you did for me no well with you you have (laughs) eyebrows that go straight up kind of like mine and now they're going to think I'm crazy. So I told you that they make an M, and so I would remember Melanie real easily. So if you can find something about their physical nature that helps you to remember their name, like maybe they wear glasses and their name is Gabriel, you know, whatever it is, something to aid your memory or put, it, put them in a location. So if their name is Sunny, put them at the beach and you know, things like that. No, that's great because I I don't remember who said this, but like the sweetest sound 
in the English language. Yeah. It was in How to Win Friends and Influence yes, People. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so the sweetest sound in the English language is somebody's name, at least to them. Right. So if you meet them again and you remember their name, that will leave a serious impression. And right. so one of the things that I used to do is in my journal, since I was going to be writing in it anyway, I would write down people's names and underline it. That way it would stand out in my journal. And it, it happened so many times where people are like, how do you remember my name? Yeah. But I would think, well, I wrote it down when I met you, so it's kind of hard not to remember it. Right. But that leaves an impression. Today at Starbucks, on the way there, the lady was like, how do you spell your name? Like, because Melanie's not like necessarily the easiest name to spell, but she asked me, how do I spell it correctly? So I ordered a coffee, and then I had gone back to get like um, a water or something, and she said it right. And then, she, hey, Melanie. And like, she remembered and I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't even ask you your name. And so I asked her her name. And then by the end of it, we're like, great friends. See you later. Next time I come here, you know. So it just kind of has that effect on you if people remember your name. It makes a yeah. difference. I think of it, too, like we were talking about in interviews how you want to be confident. But you also don't want to be arrogant. Right. So you have to balance that, right. the two. Definitely. It's kind of the same thing with remembering somebody's name. Like you don't want to overuse their name in Correct. conversation because that yes. can be a turnoff. Yes. I mean, it makes it obvious what you're doing. That's like the guy that grabs your, your elbow when he's shaking oh, your I hand. Oh, I hate that like, yeah, more than anything. Don't overdo it. No. Yeah. So do you encounter people on a college campus who lack intellectual curiosity? I don't think so. I think people like, like you just Googled, are usually pretty curious. What I do think that there is a lack of is more courage to, to seek it. So I think people are always or tend to retreat back to what they've known. And it's almost like they don't want to put themselves out there to learn more because they're just so in their patterns or in their habits. Does that make sense? Do you think that stems from people being coddled when they're young? Um, Parents not wanting them to face failure and therefore they don't build courage? Maybe so. Because one nothing... of the outcomes in my dissertation is mm -hmm. social courage. So I'm also interested in that too. Love it. <laughs> so let's talk about social courage. Let's talk about it. I was someone who had trouble walking up to people and introducing myself. Do you have a tip for how I could? Yes. Let me hear it. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Amy Cuddy. Have you heard yeah. of her? Okay. Have you watched her TED Talk? I think I have. Where yeah. she stands like Superwoman. And anyway, so I, I tell my students, you don't necessarily have to stand like Superwoman whenever you meet somebody, but you need to make yourself stand up straight because then that change, that can actually change like your thoughts. So whenever usually, and she says this in, in that talk where she says, usually whenever we go into an interview, we sit like hunched down and we look at our phones, right? And we cross our legs and we make ourselves small. A lot of females do this a lot more than men. I feel like men are a little bit more, they'll take up more space. But um, for the most part, you're looking at your phone, you're looking down and that kind of brings this energy into you. And what, what you need to do instead is be sitting up straight, prep, like psyching yourself up. So like your wife, whenever I walked in, she was like, are you nervous? I was like, not really. But I remember you, I used to be terrified. Like I was offered the job at Nichols to go teach. I, one of my former professors, he was like, I think you'd be great at this. I already had a job. I was working for my dad. I was his HR manager. And I said, absolutely not. That sounds terrifying. Like 
I'm not. And he was like, just come interview. Just come. Just come. I prepped for this interview for days. I sweated. Like, I couldn't sleep. They call me. I go. I interview. By the time I'm done with it, I'm covered in sweat. Like, covered in sweat. I was so nervous. And they offered me the job, and I turned it down. (laughs) I was like, nope, this isn't for me. One of my favorite professors, and I I work with him today, his name's uh, Dr. Luke Cashin. He called me, and he was like, you need to do this. You would be great at this. Your heart is here. And I was like, you're right. I would absolutely regret it for the rest of my life if I did not take this jump. And I, you, you asked me, like my parents are both entrepreneurs, right? And so I think that that kind of gave me, like I talked to them about it and they were like, you need to do this. If this is in your heart, this is what you need to do. Um, but I don't know if everybody has that support. And so I think that it's important to have, to have that. So anyway, so I turned it down. Now I'm not afraid. Like, I'm just like, I've done it so many times mm-hmm. that I'm like, it's kind of routine to me. Yeah, force yourself to do it. Yes. I remember taking my nephew. It was a water park when he was 11. Mm-hmm. And we went all the way to the top. <laughs> he walked all the way down without yeah. me knowing because I went on the slide first. Yeah. And I had a talk with him when, he, when we got down there about you courage. Say? Uh-huh. That's the feeling that people get before they get up to do a presentation in my class before they do the mock interview, but get it out now, practice now, get that courage up now. Then they're more prepared. They're, they're ready. They're going to attack. They're going to attack it. It's all mental. Yeah. It is so, it's so mental. I told him that you're going to encounter things Mm -hmm. that you fear the rest of your life. You want to start now overcoming those fears. Mm-hmm. It all gets easier once you do it. Mm-hmm. Force yourself to do it. Close your eyes if you have to. I bungee jumped at 35 years old. I never thought I would do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again now that I have a kid. <laughs> I was about to ask. The support thing is huge. You don't know what other kids experience what their experience has been at home. Like, I remember the first time anybody ever told me they were proud of me. I was 18 years old. And it, it was like being told, I love you by this yes. guy you're obsessed with for yeah. through two years and he's never told you. I was just like, it was just this overwhelming feeling of not only is he proud of me, but he's pulling for me. He wants me to yes. succeed in life. Yes. And so I'm going to think about that every day. Yeah. I want to impress him. Right. So that's why mentors are so important and having people that you respect and admire that you can look up to that you want to impress. Those people you don't want to let down. Those right. people are so important. Right. And I'm sure you are that for a lot of people right now. Well, thank you. That's why I'm teaching. I've always, and li- literally when I was three or four years old, my mom's like, she's going to be a teacher. Like I wanted to always, that's what I've always wanted to be. But whenever I got to college, I was trying to determine my major and my mom's like, okay, I know you want to be a teacher, but you can't because you're not going to be able to support yourself. That's what Mm -hmm. she said. Cause she's, she's a teacher Mm -hmm. anyway. So she convinced me to go through business HR and thank goodness I did because it worked out and now I'm a teacher. (laughs) And I know you don't do it for the money. You told me. Absolutely not. Yes. I took, a huge pay cut to go back uh, to Nichols um, to, to be an instructor. But now they just offered me an assistant professor position. I start in August. So I'm moving up. I'm excited because I am finishing up my PhD. So I'm, it's called ABD, ALBA dissertation. And so I'm um, super excited that they, you know, fought for me to stay on and get me that 
that role. So that's not the role that you're taking after your schooling is done? So that is it, yes. Oh, okay. So they're just, they're giving it to me and in And your August. salary is doubling, correct? Almost. Wow. If I gave you a number of 65000 and said, is your salary over or under that right now, what would you say? Right. Well, As a Just professor. at Nichols. So you know I work at um I know you have another job, yes. Okay, all right. Under. Yeah, that's amazing. How many classes? Three. I will be te- I'm teaching four right now, but I will be teaching three. Why do you put so much on your plate? So I like to help people and I like learning. I like working in HR because then I get to bring that practical knowledge to my students. So it's not like I'm just like, oh, here's what the book says. It's like, this is what we're doing. The most help, yeah, that's awesome. The most helpful class I had in college was with a guy named Dr. Chris Cox. I don't think he's there yeah. anymore. Was he there? He was no, but he was marketing, right? And he had us do a mock sales call. He recorded it, mm-hmm. and I've told this story before. I think on the Josh Lusky pod when Josh Lusky was a guest on the podcast. But the only thing he gave me bad marks for was the rapport building aspect of it. Okay, and I hated that because I am I don't even like play fighting. Like don't. Don't throw a slow fist in the air at my face. I do not like that. We're going to end up actually fighting. So when you go into somebody's office and you say, oh, that's a picture of your kids. And I see he plays baseball. Do you coach him? I don't like that. It's fake. I don't want to be fake ever. Mm -hmm. I just want the real deal. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he gave me bad marks and he's not going to listen to this. He's an awkward bastard sometimes. (laughs) So for him to give me bad marks for building rapport, I couldn't believe it. You felt real bad. I I remember it the rest of my life. Obviously. But Dr. Cox, that was so helpful. So one of the things your mom said in the Netiquette video was that in the corporate world, you want to address females with MS period in their name. I had never heard that before. Really? I wonder if that's Louisiana specific because... No, I think it's more formal. You call your friend's mom's miss, right? Yes. You always have. Yes. Where I come from, they call... We call each other's friend's parents by their first name. What? Yeah. Where where you come from? It's a jungle in the Amazon. (laughs) Houston. It's (laughs) like that in Houston. Yeah, I always thought it was weird too. I feel like that's... I was in ninth grade and my buddy's... My best friend's dad was Bruce. I mean, mate... Bruce. Yeah. Straight up. It felt Bruce. disrespectful. I feel like that. Yeah. It felt disrespectful. But I mean, we're, maybe it is this other thing. It's but, a culture, yeah. Um, we, she was meaning like, don't call them, like, don't title MRS mm-hmm. if they're married or MISS. You, the most formal or the most appropriate is MS, period. Like, miss, whatever. Like, you, even if you know that they're married. Why is it that parents who have success in business often want their kids to be doctors or lawyers or academics my parents don't didn't push me for that at all like at all it's all internally driven for me you hear it a lot in minority communities like asians who own a nail salon or arabs who own a dry cleaning business and they do really well and they end up building a bunch of them and because they're diligent savers they build all kinds of crazy wealth which means they can send their kids to any school right. that they want but it's like they never encourage them to go into business and that always surprises me i guess doctor engineer lawyers more prestigious that's the only thing i can gather maybe 
Or if they have, or if they feel like they've worked so hard, like maybe they don't want their kids to go through that path. I don't know. I know you know doctors that work their tail off. Huh? That's true. Yeah, I'm not really stressful. sure. Yeah. So sure. you're researching entrepreneurial personality. I did. Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. So my dissertation chair, he is Dr. Matt Howard. He is big on entrepreneurial personality. And so we did a meta-analysis. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, it's an analysis of analyses. Good job. <laughs> Wait, I want to back up. So okay, back up. if I impressed you with that, I'm going to really <laughs> unimpress you with this. What's this? What is a dissertation? Okay, so a dissertation is like your final research paper for a PhD program. And does that take an entire semester? Oh, it takes a year, at wow. least. I started on mine last September. So I'm, I'm ahead of the game. Like, I'm ahead of the game. Like, hey, I'm a quarter in. Does yes. this look good? We talk about, yeah, there's chapters. And I send it to my chair. So like the first chapter is the introduction. You have to go through school, all of the, the PhD program to understand how to set up a research paper. How do you um, build your conceptual model? What scales are you going to use? The scales have to be valid and reliable, right? Like you can't just say oh i think i'm going to ask them this question no the scales that you you that you use have to be validated reliable and they teach you how to conduct research to where you're minimizing bias and error if you can but the goal is to basically see uh, come up with a unique idea research idea for your dissertation that can kind of launch you into future research that you can get published right but my research that i'm interested in is personality and how that kind of affects the workplace and outcomes at work. And so I want to kind of bridge the gap between academia and research because I know it's getting it's getting better, but I feel like a lot of research hasn't been practical. It's more like research just for the sake of researching, but I want to bring it to the workplace. And so it's kind of cool that I, I'm in both worlds. You know, right now I'm an HR director and I, that's, I absolutely love it. I love the people there. But I get to kind of apply and see what I'm learning, right, in my research in the workplace. That is cool. Did you hear about the research that James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian did? No. They did a paper on, and it was published, on the promiscuity of dogs at dog parks. No. And like rape in doggy culture what? and things like that. It was all a BS study, but they were proving the ideological bias of academia. So they used verbiage from Mein Kampf, which is Adolf Hitler's manifesto. Just they produced this study that didn't mean anything and just to see if they could get it through. Get it published. And they did, yeah. Huh. So you sent me, I imagine you do some things with the big five? Yes. So, um, okay, the big five. Uh-huh. Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. The two that I'm specifically looking at for my dissertation are extroversion and neuroticism at work. So those that score higher on extroversion, I want to see how social media, because there's been, and I'm looking at effective events theory. So um, it's basically like how people are affected by certain things and how that, you know, based on your personality, I feel like. I'm proposing that some are more affected than others. So I'm proposing that extroverted people will see this stuff on Facebook and they're more extroverted. And so maybe that will affect them differently in the workplace than somebody who is more neurotic and what they see on Facebook. 
you know, and how does that affect them in the workplace? And so I'm totally gonna, makes sense. How cool is that? Yeah. So I'm excited to see my results. I haven't gotten that far yet. Like I've collected my data, but I'm still working on analyzing. So you're high in extroversion, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> high in openness. Yes. Lower in neuroticism. I hope so. <laughs> conscientiousness. Conscien- high, I'm high super high in conscientiousness. Yes, that's and probably one extroversion and conscientiousness. I'm interested. Where do you fall there? Pretty agreeable. I'm trying not to be as agreeable. I think you have to be less agreeable if you're going to succeed in the corporate world, right? Yeah. So I struggle with that because I I feel like I'm a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> to a, you know, it's gotten me this far, mm-hmm. but I need to kind of. My friend said I collect. One of my best friends, she said I collect people. <laughs> she said I always want to help everybody, and she's like, "We need to stop. Like, you need to stand up. You know, like I need to like self preserve. Preserve. Yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> people, I I say this a lot, but people will value their own time about a thousand x to what they value yours. Yeah. Usually, it's a thousand x to to zero. So if you're too agreeable, people will take advantage of your time. Yes. Your time means almost nothing to them. Yes. They will exploit you and use you and spit you back out and not even give you a thank you. I would be, let's see. I Can would I be, guess? Yeah. I think you're extroverted to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, very open. Super, let's see. I think you would be a little bit lower on agreeableness because I feel like you would stand up for yourself and value your time. I don't know. Am I right? Am I good? What do you think? I think that I'm about 70-30 if I could apply a percentage to extroversion because Mm -hmm. I enjoy solitude a lot. I yeah. can just spend time in my head and really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Just coming up with stuff to ponder and think about. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be the life of the party. But oddly enough, I was telling my brother a story the other day. And I said, I used to tell this story at parties. And he said, I remember. <laughs> and it's almost weird to me. Like I forgot that when mm-hmm. I was in college, I would come up with a story. Well, I'll give you an example. I was following an ambulance on I-10 in Houston, and one of the back doors, you know, there's two back doors on an ambulance. One of them flew open, and this box comes tumbling out and hit the front of my car. So I, I stopped, I pulled over, and I had to wait for traffic to subside a little bit before I ran out in the middle of the interstate to get this box. Well, when I opened it, there was a human toe in there. Stop. So I called a tow truck. <laughs> That's the kind of story I would tell, and I forgot that I used to do that. <laughs> And so it's no surprise now, reflecting back. You had me all sucked in, and then I'm like. Well, that's what I would do. (laughs) But that's why I became a sales guy, because I really enjoyed having the room on edge with a story. Yeah, You had me on edge. That's what you do in sales. You tell stories. Yeah. So I could see that. Openness. So openness to experience, yes. I think yes. Uh, What's the other? Conscientiousness. Definitely agreeableness agreeable very low i am not agreeable yes i i am not yeah to a fault (laughs) that's okay it's okay yeah i will argue with with my mom or anybody because you're a lion i'm what a lion a lion yeah so this test that you sent me did we do all of them uh neuroticism oh low low extremely low yeah 
Okay, you sent me a test, and the results came back that I'm an independent thinker, work is play, enjoy challenges, find new ways to do routine. Yes, definitely independent thinker. Work was play to me. Like on Sunday, I never dreaded going to work. It was just another day of the week for me. I never felt stressed out despite having quotas and pressure and all that. I mm -hmm. just... I just did the best I could and mm -hmm. let the chips fall where they may. Do I enjoy challenges? Yeah, of course. Find new ways to do routine? Yes, I do mix up my routine and my workouts. In love, prefer to think than let your heart dictate love. Yes. Okay. So if I come in here and I affirm your wisdom and your thoughts and your brain, does that excite? Like, that's no. what... I would be like, yeah, I, I knew that already. You're like... <laughs> yeah. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Which is one of the differences between men and women. True. Women, when they, when they say something like that, and a woman's like, oh my God, me too. And then you get these feelings in your chest and you bond that way. A woman can be let down if she says the same thing to a man and he's like, well, yeah, of course yeah, I'm right. Duh. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's none of that feeling explosion between them. And she gets frustrated sometimes. Okay, what about you on that one? Okay, so I'm... I am they call it blue so you're green right yes yeah, sorry i should add it says as a kid you felt older than your years very much so like to focus on things that were mentally stimulating yes impatient with drills and questioned authority what, what does that mean impatient with drills like you you grow impatient um you want to basically get things done pretty mm -hmm. quickly i don't know go getter kind I, so of I like think what my initial thought was is that repetition is the mother of skill, the mother of learning. And so if it's a repetitive sort of task, like a drill to where I know it's going to make me better, like learning a new language or something, I'm happy to do it. Okay. But I need to know the point, which is you've got to tell me why. Why? Which mm -hmm. is interesting because the next part of this says need to respect teachers before you can learn from them. And I'll respect a teacher if they tell me why. If mm -hmm. you just tell me, do it because I said so, mm -hmm. that is... You're, not, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, they call it blue on here. And this is a just a little quick personality thing that I give my students. And it kind of helps me gauge where they're at. It, it actually gets them thinking about themselves and, and their strengths, their weaknesses. What are What do they like? What do they not like? This helps with me helping them find a major that fits them a job that because if you keep going it says careers at the back but i'm blue um enthusiastic sympathetic which obviously you would want for hr right you would want somebody that cares about people warm communicative compassionate idealistic spiritual sincere peaceful flexible imaginative in work, I like to influence others to help their lives. Like, that's that's my whole drive, right? That's why I do, why I teach. It's when I get those stories back and those thank yous and the, that is just like, you've changed my life and that that's my drive. That's my reward. Yeah, if you could find that and it also pays well. Yeah, right? I like to work in the arts. Yes. Yes. You gave my wife and I a beautiful picture of a pelican or a painting. Of a painting a pelican, of a pelican. And it'll show up in the picture that my wife took of us. <laughs> Check it out. It's awesome. Education or helping professions. So, yes. In love, seek balanced relationships. Believe in a true romantic, perfect love that will last forever. I definitely do have that fairy tale. Like, I, in love, like, I always 
Am I Hopeless Romantic to, was, a, to a flaw almost. I was concerned that this was going to be like a horoscope where no. the answers apply to everybody, but everything you've told me is not me. But yeah, what you me. gave no, it's me. me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's me. Yeah, so that's good. It's yeah. confirming. As a kid, active imagination, difficult to fit into school life. More like I was super into learning and being um, more socially. Like I had more issues. Now, not so much. But when I was growing up, I was like more into just learning and studying. And I kind of consumed myself. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with my age because I was like the youngest one in my class. And so like I think I graduated. I started at, at Nichols when I was 17. And I graduated at 20. So I couldn't even like legally drink in college. When's your birthday? August 24th. I'm June, so I, I was the youngest college at 17 too. Yes, some people Finished call at 23. Me... I think really <laughs> at 22. I mean. I'm still in school. Look, it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think people are much more likely to pursue advanced degrees when they do well in school? Like sometimes I'm I'm concerned that people Maybe. stay in school because they're good at it. And why would you go to the real world? when you could spend another six years at this thing you excel at and yeah. of course it's going to benefit you but I hate it when when I see people go into all kinds of debt in order to do it yeah that's why I'm working two jobs right now if you because yeah. you had said Which why do you do, do with your time he is a VP of an aerospace like so he's the VP of aerospace for um, a company in Homa engineer or sales he's um, engineering mindset he doesn't have a degree He's been working there since he was 17 years old. He's one of the most, he's one of the smartest people I know. Very engineering mindset, but doesn't have a degree. Hmm. It's rare to hear a wife call their husband smart. He's more intelligent than me. Wow. Hands down. That's a power couple then, huh? <laughs> I hope Good so. For y'all. <laughs> he's very, we think very differently, but he's very, very intelligent. My wife and I once did a substance and... <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> she opened up to me in a way that she had never before, and I did the same. It was reciprocal. One of the things I asked her as we were in this other dimension, I said, <laughs> what would it be like if you were smarter than me? And she thought about it for like 10 seconds, and she goes, wait, wait. If I She's like, was I am. smarter than you, <laughs> it reminds me of the question that I asked her in Fun Questions, which is, is not wanting something just as good as having it? The same way that people repeat that question to themselves, mm-hmm. she repeated it to, She's like, to hey, herself. Yeah. What preceded this question was, we were talking about the age difference of mm-hmm. us and mm-hmm. how men and women seek different things. And so... Would she even be attracted to me if she were smarter than me? And the answer has got to be no. No. What girl would go for a guy that's, let's say, more than 10 years older who's that's, not smart, also oh, smarter I see. than her? Okay. Okay. Because it's almost I see like, what you're saying. Why go for a guy who's 10 years older if they're not, if they don't have more wisdom and experience? That makes sense. He's definitely smarter than me, in my opinion. He um, thinks very differently than me. Yeah, and I know it's not PC to say, but if I'm 35 and start dating a 22-year-old, if she's smarter than me, I got a real problem. Yeah, like what's she doing? she's just entering the real world, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it's not politically correct to say. But they can have different smarts. Of course. So it could be complimentary. Of course, yeah. And, and we so are So that could be us too, yeah. 
yeah, intelligence is a weird thing. I mean, I, I was telling her that there was this talented and gifted program in eighth, between seventh and eighth grade that I wasn't accepted to, but Louisiana being the way that it is, my mom talked to some people and you got, got in? me in this program. <laughs> How, how'd that go? Well, it was, it was sad. I, I was thinking, I didn't do well on this test to pass to get in here, but I'm just as smart as these people, if not smarter than them. And one of the three classes that I took was athletics. We played like pickleball. And of course I was a good athlete, so I dominated. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, if I'm an A plus in this class, that would average out my other two classes. One of them was biology, but it got me thinking like, was college that way? Like, what if you got into Stanford or Harvard? Would you get there and realize, wait a minute, I just didn't do well on the test, right. but I'm right. just as smart as these people. Yeah, so like my uh, GMAT score is not very high, but I will outwork anybody there. And so my GPA is 4.0, you know? Yeah. So, but I'm not, I'm not a very good standardized test taker, but I'll outwork anybody. And I, that's what I told my current boss. And um, he was asking me when we were kind of going through like, you know, what do you want to work here? What would it take for you to come work here? That kind of stuff. And um, I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm an, like, okay. so I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm not trying to be cocky. I'm not at all, but I'm going to outwork. Like I'm a hard worker. Yeah, that's good. Like I, know what you know what you have. When I was young, I was a really good poker player, like before it became mainstream. And one of my approaches, my main approach was usually slow playing. And what I relate that to about my personality is being understated which is something I've been told before. It's kind of like with the podcast, I had a guest tell me, I didn't have any idea that you had this intellectualism about you. And it's because I don't talk a lot. I prefer to listen. Whatever intellectualism I have, it's probably stems from all the listening that I've done and, and I like to read and that's... Which is a skill that not a lot of people have, is listening. Oh, I know, it's getting worse. Yes. So that's like... We have these classes on talking and speaking, but active listening is a skill that, I mean, I still work on it, but it's like people are constantly thinking of what they're going to say next while you're talking, you know? So it's, it's hard to actively listen. You know what I think part of the problem is? I've tweeted about Jimmy Fallon recently. I said, if Jimmy Fallon was a faster thinker, he wouldn't have to laugh so much. <laughs> So what he does is, is he he's laughs. interviewing somebody. He'll laugh for 10 seconds. And thinks about what he wants to say. Yeah. So that means he's actively listening when they're talking? Perhaps. But if he thought faster, he wouldn't have to go on and on with this fake laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. inauthentic, this laugh. So what I'm getting at is if, if you could work to think faster, then you could be a better listener. Yes. Because it enables you more time to focus on the person speaking and then you can respond yes. quickly, but people quickly. aren't thinking fast enough, therefore mm -hmm. have to use the time that they should be listening to, to think, think of what that it makes is sense. they're going to say. That makes sense. It's also a, a selfish thing. People who are more selfish are not going to be as good a listeners, which reminds me, Jared Parfait was on and said that one of the things he raises his son to do is when somebody walks in the room an adult especially you need to stand up yes i can remember going to visit someone a buddy of mine 
walking in. I had driven six hours, and he laid on the couch <gasps> and he didn't get up. And I must have been 23, no. 24. I said, stand the fuck up. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and I don't know where that came from. Like, why? where did I learn that from? It, some things are just so obvious, and, and listening to me is one of those things. Not I, everybody has that. I met a guy for coffee yesterday, and we had been sitting there right at about an hour. He had looked at his phone four times while we were talking. The first time he apologized, he forced the end. But he started to put his earphones <gasps> in his ear and then looks at his phone and tells me that he's got a call with his lawyer. No. Which adds import to the call, right? It's his lawyer. Who knows if he really has a call with his lawyer. But I just thought, how does That's this guy rude. not, not, not okay. know any better? Right. But we've come so far. We're so immersed in this technology. It's mm-hmm. so embedded in our lives. Well, like... Also, too, it's like a, it's a computer, you know, so like you, we, you were Googling on your computer, but I don't have my computer out. So I'm Googling on my phone, you know, so it's like it's like it's all it's like a part of you. And it's it's like you have to train people or train yourself and people to not look at it, to not get on Facebook, to not whatever. There's it's so distracting. I think it's why self-awareness has become such a, a hot popular, topic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. people don't have it. Yes. If they had it, then they would become aware when they're checking yes. email on their phone or checking text messages in the middle of a conversation. I like to tell people you date for friends the same way that you would date for romance. If I were on a date and a, and a girl starts putting earphones oh, in no. her ear and, and has to go because of a phone, I'm feel like, You're like really? I will never no. answer that guy's text again. No. Yeah. So how do those people build relationships. I guess, you know, we we attract what we become. And so if I were somebody who was like that too, I'd probably I think that's probably the like the whole online gaming thing now too is like another I, I don't we don't have PlayStation, whatever. But I think a lot of that too is they, they have the headphones in and they're talking to each other on there and it's like communication on so I think a lot of people are getting like their friend interaction also through that as well it's a great point when you're living your life your lived experience which is a common phrase nowadays it's so hard to imagine or know how other people are going about their daily lives so i was at best buy one time and i was talking to a guy who was almost my age and i was looking for a headset actually and he pointed me to this headset and said, this is what gamers use. And he was assuming that I was that a gamer. That you were a gamer. Mm-hmm. And I, so I started to ask him about his gaming activity. And he said, oh, yeah, dude, I was up till 6 a.m. Yes. Playing whatever. And I'm like, Whoa. All night. Like, this is like a whole nother world. Yes. So to I know nothing about so it. so many people out there that are I spending know. like 10 hours a day yeah. gaming. Yeah. And I, I get it because the games are so good. The technology is so advanced from when I was a kid. But for my purpose, yeah, I had Mario Kart. Keep, yeah, yeah, Tetris. That would keep me from playing because I know how addictive it could yeah, be. Yeah, I don't even, because I agree. Yeah. I would probably want to play off, the, you know, whatever. So I don't but even me, have that's it. That's one of those obvious things, too. Like, why would you want to play stupid games and win stupid prizes? Don't you contrast that with the real world? Don't you want to win in the real world? Because you don't get anything for winning there. And and it's been proven too that most people get depressed. Yes. As a result of yes. that sort of thing. It's almost like a drug. 
Yeah. It's almost like a another like an escape. Yeah. Escapism. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the human resources case competition. What what is a human resource competition? Okay, so they didn't have it this past year with COVID, but I would bring four to five students and they don't get any extra credit for this. This is just like they just volunteer. Um, and we kind of go through a little bit of an interview process, depending on how many people want. Usually I bring one team and we compete against other schools and we get a business case. And so it's an HR problem. How would these students solve this HR problem based on what they've learned? And then they have to present the case to HR practitioners. And we competed against other schools. And we, Nichols has won every year. We beat LSU. We beat Southeastern. We've beat. Um, so I've taken these students every year except for COVID. Um, Same students or a different group? Different group. Um, and they take what they've learned in the classroom and they apply it. And they present this case. They're, they're, they go through what's the problem? What are some different alternative solutions? What are, you know, what are we going to run with? How, what are our action strategies and kind of go from there? How would we implement this in a company? You know, looking at the HR laws and all that. Um, and they came up with like an action plan and they, they knock it out of the park every time. And it's awesome Is to it see. Or do they? It's a written case, but then they also do the presentation okay. part too. And there's a panel of three or There's four a judges. panel of, I think, four to five HR professionals in and the state of Louisiana. How do they grade them? So they have a rubric and the rubric is just basically, you know, are, how are they solving the problem? Who's the, you know, most knowledgeable, I guess, out, about the problem? How are these people presenting the issue? Are they dressed professionally? And so they give us this feedback. It's awesome feedback. Um, and I give them copies of it. But they also go in like, and nobody knows the school because different kids every year. And so it's not like you've seen the same ones, but like they can't say what school they're from. They can't dress in school colors. Um, so that's a big deal because you will really get screwed playing baseball. And there's an umpire you're playing against LSU. Yeah, Fucking you can't man. wear you can't wear school colors. So they wear black suits with white shirts, and uh, they go and uh, they've knocked it out of the park every single time. And so and it's, you're the coach. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So. What does that prep look like? So. I am not allowed to help them solve the case. I'm allowed to help them practice and get like prepared and make sure that they kind of are ready to go. And so we talk a lot before I even, before they even get the case, I don't get to see it. They even like, we talk about the best way to give a presentation. We do practice presentations. How do you dress? What are some tips, you know, for solving this, you know, solving any case, how would you, how would you structure this? And then they run with it based on what they've learned and, and the research that they do as well with like, so I, I give them the resources to go on the society of human resource.org. You know, they get to go on the department of labor's website. Like I, I give them those links to where this is me as an HR person. This is where I would go have fun and they knock it out the park. It's awesome. So fun. So fun. So were most of these kids going into HR? Yes, almost all of them. And a lot of them have gotten jobs from just doing this and networking with people. Awesome. Yeah. What percentage are female? Roughly. 75. A lot of people in the corporate world get disgruntled because they feel like HR has too much power. Yes. And they don't 
believe it's right that yes. someone who may be inferior makes a decision on their livelihood. Yes. How do you feel about that? I agree. I tell my students, you are there to help these people and you are there to protect the company. But you are not the police. You have to enforce policy. I get that. But don't let the power go to your head because too many people do. And that's why people don't like HR. And you want to be the person that people come to when there's an issue. You want to be the person that you can listen to people. If you don't like people, you should not be in HR. But you need to be humble and stay humble because if not, nobody's going to come to you. Has your company changed their diversity hiring in recent years? So they're pretty diverse. Like we have not had like an affirmative action plan. That's usually governed if you're like a federal contractor, but we're not. Um, But they usually pretty much hire a lot of diverse people. It's more, can you do the job? This is the hard work that our guys go in these tanks and they clean and they work long hours. And there's there's a lot of diversity. um, And I think it's been that way for a long time. You remember the book Freakonomics? No. Stephen Dubner. There was a like chapter dedicated it. to those who had African names submitting their resume. Okay. And not getting interviews because they had a hard to pronounce name. Okay. Have you ever encountered anything like that with students? I do have one student and she says, call me Sid because her name is hard to pronounce. So um, her name on her resume would be Zit? No, Sid. (laughs) I tell her to put it in parentheses because it's hard for me to pronounce it. And she like, it's not that I don't try. So I would, I would recommend that you put something that people call you or that you want people to call you in parentheses. So like I put, sometimes I'll even like, like I told the lady at Starbucks, call me Mel. Like if you can't spell Melanie, call me Mel, whatever you're comfortable with. But I think you need to be true to yourself too. I think some listeners outside of the southeastern United States will find it funny that you are a Boudreaux who lives in Thibodeau. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very. Very ironic, right? My what's, maiden what's, name was Morgan. That was a lot easier to pronounce. Benny yeah. should have just taken my last name. <laughs> what's your lineage? My dad is from Homa. Um, his family his dad is from pecan island out by you know where that is it's out by lafayette area my mom and her family my mom's dad is from so they're bergs and they're from lockport louisiana you know where that is yeah so yeah kind of all from south louisiana area do you feel pretentious when you refer to your undergrad no <laughs> I. These people with regular degrees like myself, we never use that term. They don't say undergrad, really? I guess Why I'm just. Why would I? Yeah. No, I. Never really thought about that. I enjoyed the heck out of Nichols. If, if Nichols offered a PhD program, I'd be there. I think I would. But instead, you attend South Alabama? Yes. University of? Yes. How do you feel about the rise in tuition costs that Americans are experiencing? I'm dealing with that right now. Um, With my PhD program, it's super expensive. 
but it'll pay off for me because I plan on staying and working at Nichols at my retirement. I'll be there. Like everything else, costs are rising and things are going up, but it's expensive. It's a it's a burden. And so that's why I'm working two jobs. Um, but also, I think that the education is worth it for sure in my, in my case. You see it as an investment. For sure. Is that something you talk to students about, about the yes. fact that the outlay of cash for this Nichols State experience is going to have a return of some sort of, of X amount of dollars when they get out. Yes. That was never explained to me. That's something I had to And I show them, own. like, statistics that show, like, yeah, you might start out making this much right now, but you have more of a potential to grow and make more money if you have this degree. Um, but we also talk about just the resources that our students have through going through this, learning how to research, learning how to look things up and where to go and who to contact and connect with and the connections that they make at Nichols. And truly, we're one of the cheaper schools in the state of Louisiana. I mean, our, our College of Business program is top notch. We have the highest accreditation that a College of Business can have. And I think only the top 10% of business schools have that. We do a lot with not a ton of funding. And so... I think that they're getting a quality program when they come through, through us. And it's something like 4,400 a semester. Does that sound right? About, yeah. What class is it that you teach where kids are getting all this prep for the real world? Human resource management. So See, I wouldn't even think to take that this class, is a but I would want this experience. 300 level. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is a 300 level. I usually teach sophomores, I mean, juniors and seniors. They have to have 54 hours before they take this class. Um, I touch on it a little bit in my management 301 class, which is, but I teach that one online. So that's kind of hard for me to do. I do show them the netiquette video. Like I give them the link. I do give them resources, but it's, I feel like it's not the same as the face-to-face class, which I'm so excited that we'll be almost fully back face-to-face in the fall because that's where I just love. It's, it's much more difficult to reach people through a computer you know, and they're they're looking at things on d- at different times, and it's just not asynchronous um, for this class, for that class. Do you want to do fun questions? Sure. Social media, net negative or net positive for society? Oh, net negative. Why? Because, and that's what my dissertation that I'm looking at is on, I feel like people are so caught up in, I, I feel like even... even me, like even everybody, your image that you put out there on social media, is that really who you are? Do you have any suggestions for how to make it authentically you? Minimize it as much as possible and then... But wouldn't that just portray highlights? Yeah. If you minimized it too much? Yeah. Or not have it at all. I know a lot of people don't have it at all. Some people. I don't know. I don't know. Who's on their phone more, you or your husband? Both. Just because our works are so busy, but we try to consciously say, like, when we get home, okay, let's pick up our phone. I'm trying. We're trying. We're having to make, like, a conscious effort to pick up our phones. Just because we both have so such demanding jobs. At what age will you allow your kids to have a phone? Okay, so they have the little iPod right now where they can, like, play certain games. But I very greatly restrict the time that they can be on it 
Um, I don't let them go to bed with, like, they can't bring it in their rooms and go to bed. They can, you know, just every now and then, whenever, I, like, I really need to get something done, I'll let them. I let them watch, you know, I'd rather them, like, a lot of my, my kids are always almost outside. If, unless if it's raining, you know, then we're trying to do something inside. But my kids like to be outside, chase lizards, kill lizards, poor things. Like, I'm like, stop touching the lizards. Your daughter comes to you when she's 10 and says, Mom, my friends have an Instagram. That has already happened. Not Instagram, but... My daughter, like, some of her friends, they had, like, this little texting app. I'm like, no. They barely know how to, like, I mean, she's writing, but, like, I'm like, no. George Clooney or Brad Pitt? (laughs) Brad Pitt. Who's funnier, Trevor Noah or getting a paper cut? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I got a paper cut yesterday. (laughs) So, uh, Trevor... Was, sure. Well, you laughed. Sure. The paper yes. got funnier than Yeah, maybe. Noah. Maybe. Which is funnier? Former SNL cast member Leslie Jones or stubbing your toe in the dark of night? Oh, my goodness. I feel like these questions are set up for me. Are these trick questions? Mm-mm. No. If you could go anywhere in the world for a week, where would you go? This is a great question. My last two were Key bad. West. Whoa, that's what Coach G Casper. Really? Yes. Key West is one of my absolute favorite places. So you'd go back to somewhere you've already been? I would go there every year. And have, I could retire there. What's so great about it? It is so relaxing. Mm. It is like this kind of. His mm. patio is amazing. But it's just so tropical. The plants. It's just. It's It's also marina. Mm-hmm. life i love the water i used to swim in high school coaches swim team we have a pool and i'm just water i love to fish i like to be outside and so that's just kind of one of my favorite places my heart was just like happy there you know you go somewhere and you're just like i'm I here do. you know like so i feel like that's that's where i've been that i, I did not want to leave if you were stuck in key west by yourself <laughs> and could only bring one band's album what <laughs> You know Who it. are you taking? Matchbox 20. Oh, yeah, that's right. 3 a.m. You met Rob Thomas. I did for my 30th birthday. And what'd you think? He's amazing. We went, I was, me and some of my friends, we went to his concert for my 30th birthday. And we went, we stayed at the hotel right by the wharf. And he was there, him and his band. And we were literally the only ones in the restaurant with him and his band. And they were super nice. His son was there. They were, he told me happy birthday, took pictures. It was just like surreal to me. I was like, you were my ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> Back when ringtones were a thing. Yeah. Uh, 3 a.m. was my ringtone. And whenever he played Bright, Bright Lights, which is like one of my favorite songs, um, I just was, it was so cool and surreal because I had just met him the night before. And it was just, they were just awesome, truly awesome people. Whenever I hear the words Matchbox 20, I think, Sitting by the overcoat, the second, second shelf, shelf, the note she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing. Please edit that out. <laughs> if someone were to give you $100,000 worth of stock in one of these three companies, oh, goodness. which would you take? Okay. Spotify, Airbnb, or Pinterest? Oh, Spotify. Do you use Spotify? Yes, sometimes. The free version or the paid The version? free it's tough now that Spotify has a lot of podcasts. That's why I'm thinking about it, because I think that's going to grow. I think so, too. 
I use Pinterest. My husband has a Pinterest. He uses Pinterest for his woodworking stuff all the time. You need to come see. All of our outdoor patio furniture, our uh, furniture in our house. His dad taught him how to do all of that. And so he uh, sells it. Yeah, so I th- he has a Pinterest, but I think that Spotify would be probably the one that's going to grow the most, just because I think more people are going to get into podcasts, and I think that's going to be more of a thing. Yeah, I liked that I had to go to Apple Podcasts. I didn't have to, but I used to go to Apple Podcasts to listen to podcasts, and then when I wanted to listen to music, I would go to Spotify. Well, now that I listen to more podcasts on Spotify, I don't, I don't like getting those in the same place. Okay. I don't know. It's you like want to having an ice cream it. shop at the gym. You know, I don't, I don't want that. I want to get Counter a it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're hosting a dinner party at your house and cost is not an issue. Okay. Are you having four guests, six guests, or 12 guests? I'm going to have as many as I can, 12. 12. How long is too long to stay? Oh, my goodness. Okay. That would be my pet peeve. <laughs> um, that... I like to go to bed early. And so I have some friends and like, I love them, but they know I will just straight up. I love y'all, but I'm going to bed because it's like 10 or 11. And I usually go to bed really early. It's, it's a weird dynamic, right? I had a buddy over here two nights ago for the concert. And I had to, I told him that I was going to a baseball game that started at 645. And I said, I'm comfortable missing the first half, but I want to be there for the latter half. And so he had showed up at our house maybe two and a half hours prior. And I said, well, do you want to come with me? Right. But if you do, you'd probably want to drive because it's close to Metairie and he lives over there. And it reminded me of being a kid, like when you're over at a friend's house and then they have an errand to run and they they say, well, you can come with me. And then you're like, well, does he really want me to come with him? Mm -hmm. Do I really want to do that? Mm -hmm. Then I'm kind of captive. I can't just leave when I want. We're driving. We're riding in his car. And it was interesting because I hadn't been in that dynamic in. I take my car everywhere. I don't. I drive because if I'm ready to like go to sleep, yeah, I'm like okay, bye. But y'all could stay and and have a party at my house. But I'm gonna go to sleep. Yeah, like you don't have to leave, but I'm gonna go to bed. Yeah, it's just interesting dynamics. And most of that stuff happens when you're a kid, right? When you have sleepovers and all that. Yes. Matt Ory's camp with he and his now wife and I remember they went to bed real early and Miriam and I just decided well we'll just go to bed too because we felt weird like staying up and watching their TV yeah our first night we had ever spent at the camp yeah and they probably said make yourself at home but yeah is there anything cooler than having a sleepover with friends I love that there are houses around the world like on Airbnb that are six bedroom mansions that rent for like $2,000 $2,000 a night, mm-hmm. but once you split it up between six yeah. couples, we're know, doing, it's like we're $150 going, a person. In a few weeks for my kid's birthday, that's what we're doing. We're going to the beach and we rented a condo and we're all just kind of going. But they also know like, okay, Mel's going to be the first yeah. one to bed. <laughs> and yeah. they stay up and it doesn't like, they just know that that's how I am. Yeah. But I will be the first one up in the morning making them coffee and breakfast and they love it, you know? So yeah. it's just kind of like we have that. I guess you have to figure out your own. Yeah, you have to figure out who you travel well with. Yes, for sure. It's hard. It's hard it to is. get eight friends together to go do something. Yes. I had a free trip one time that I won. This was 2007. It was to stay in these villas on the side of the mountain in Puerto Vallarta. It was all expenses paid. We had a chef. Somebody cleaned our rooms every day. Oh, wow. It was wonderful. Do you know that I couldn't find people to go? Why? Because They didn't want to travel with you? Maybe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I don't know. kidding. That could be it. Maybe. But 
No, that wasn't it. <laughs> we just couldn't. It's just so hard to get somebody to commit to doing something like that. Yes, Especially it is. I was 27 years old. I know if somebody offered me, I probably would have turned it down at that age. I wanted to work. If somebody offered you a trip to Puerto Vallarta, let's say it was a month from now. Okay. You only had to pay for your plane ticket, and it was six of your good friends. Can but I bring? They hadn't gotten commitments from everybody yet. Would you go? Can I bring my kids? Well, that's a good question. I'm going to say no. Then no. Mm. I. It's hard to get friends together. Uh, yeah. I was in Houston, and a friend of mine asked if Thibodeau was near Homer. Homer? Said, what's Homer? Yeah, what's Homer? And he said, what's well, right by Thibodeau? How do you not no. know? And I said, oh, Homer? Homer. And he was like, yeah, I just figured it was Homer that people don't pronounce their R's down there. There's no R. <laughs> well, you went to Vanderbilt High School, right? I did. It's not Vanderbilt. No, there's no R in there. Why is that? I don't and know. And isn't it ironic it is. that... People drop their R's anyway. So if it were Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. they'd probably say Vanderbilt. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. And Homa is about as south as you can go. Pretty much. Well, Montague is a little bit further south. Okay. That's where my husband's from. <laughs> okay. So Thibodeau is about an hour Thibodeau, southwest of New Orleans. Yes. Which is where Nickel State is. Yes. And then Homa is probably south of another that. 20 minutes south. Yes. And you're saying that there's Mo There's one. more. Oh, there is? No, there, yeah. There's different bayous. When you get bayous. to Homa, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> When you get to Homa, you can go down different bayous, okay? So there's like Dularge, Dulac, Dulac, Montague, what else? Montague, Chauvin, Chauvin, um, Pontiche. Pontiche, I used to go fishing in the Pontiche. Yeah, so that's, um, you could choose what bayou you go down, so that's that's how you go south, but you have to choose which south you go. My friend's dad, Mr. Robert, used to take us to Pontiche, and I was so impressed that he could navigate it without a map or anything. Oh, yeah. Because it all looks the same, right? Um, Maybe it's changed. No, I know. Years. Yeah. I, I mean, I could. I could get us there without a map. But I mean, you mean in a boat? Yeah. It was like. Going oh, yeah. My husband could do that. I can't do that. He knew. Yeah. What felt like the 13th left to me. And yeah. And the 8th right. And then the 2nd left. You get like, used to it if you drive it all the time. Yeah, I guess. We go crabbing down in Pontiche. Troll fishing, crabbing, shrimping all day long. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a way of life down here. I feel like that could be a song. <laughs> the same crew that I just mentioned, Brett Bolello's cousin, we used to go to Grand Isle when I was like 10, 11, 12, and we would just make up songs. And that's there where that song go. came from. Troll, Fish, and Crab, and Shrimp, and all day. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like a song. It's got a little jingle to it. It does. Marketers use jingles on purpose because... I was going to say, that could be a jingle to your uh, like, podcast. <laughs> like if, I, if I went, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, everybody knows what that I'm is. I'm loving it. Yeah. Is but that that's it? intentional. It's deliberate. The da-da-da-da-da, because they know yeah. it sticks. It resonates. People remember it. Like Folgers. Like Folgers in your cup. Mm -hmm. What's the jingle? Da, na, 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 na. I don't know. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> uh, are you a Folgers drinker? No. Community coffee. Really? Yes. Somebody told me recently that community is like the Folgers of South Louisiana. And community they were to is. Say it was cheap. Really? That's what they said. Oh, I love community. I like it, too. I bought a 46-ounce bag of community coffee, the breakfast blend, at Costco for fourteen ninety-nine. What? Yeah. How far is Costco from here? We it's don't have a, a Costco. drive towards Baton Rouge. You take the Carrollton exit. I'll always be a Costco member. It's one of those things. Once you start, it's just yeah. so hard to give that We don't up. have one of those. I get so much stuff We have there. Rouse's. We have the Rouse. Yeah. <laughs> Rouse's is... is the Rouse. It's, yeah. <laughs> 
It's as much favored by people down here as H-E-B is in Texas. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. H-E-B's big. The reason people like H-E-B... Is there fajita the meat? <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> Another reason is when you swipe your, your frequent customer card, they're collecting all kinds of data about oh, yeah. your behavior and all that. Yes. Well, H-E-B doesn't require a loyalty card. Oh. People like that. I was not aware. Is not wanting something just as good as having it? So I'm trying to... Yes, I think because be the first person to say yes. Why? Everybody else says if you don't want it. I don't know. I'm kind of confused by this. Ask me the question again. I don't have. Is not wanting something just as good as having it? Yeah, because I think you're 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 already there. Like you've gotten it. But I guess the journey. I, I can see why they would say yes because the it's in the journey too. But a lot of people don't enjoy the journey. A lot of people are like, oh, I just want to get to the end, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're going to enjoy it, but they don't. So you need to enjoy the journey, whether you have it or not. Yeah, I think all the time about someday this is going to be the good old days. It will. I always think It will be. Yeah. But you just got to keep. It's gratitude. Yes. That should be taught in school. Agreed. Gratitude. So that's what I share with your wife, the Love Your Life podcast, because I was like, it talks about not just saying you're grateful, but really kind of focusing and attracting good things into your life based on what you think. So you have to change your thoughts. Like, yeah, I could walk around here being upset that I have to pay for this school. And like, I could harp on how much I do. Anybody could do that. But it's, I think the people that set themselves apart are the ones that focused on the good things that they have. And that attracts actually more good things to you. Because you start recognizing, okay, this is this is what I appreciate. This is what I want. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I I'm articulating sent, this correctly. No, I think you did well. I, I just sent a book to a student of mine called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. If you're wanting Let me to write this down. deliberately change your thoughts, that is a great book to start with. It's an oldie but goodie. Probably written in the 1930s just like how to win friends and just like think and grow rich have you read the magic no okay it's similar to it's a sequel to the law of attraction but that really got me thinking you need to read that i need to get you that the magic like you write a check to yourself and then you start visualizing this money that's and you start being grateful for everything you have and it's just like practicing and it's it it basically teaches you how to manifest what you want Mm. And attract more of the things that you're into and looking at. I was in college, and when I woke up and one morning, we were in a hotel room. I remember thinking intently that I was going to go four for four, which is you have four at-bats in a game, you get four hits. And I did. Did it freak you out? It made me want to do it again. I could not do it. And, and I, I don't know... I don't know what the lesson is in there. Like, I tried to, to go to the same place. I tried to think intently. Like, what was I doing that day? Why did that work? And I promise it's the first time that I had ever really done it. But I, I couldn't replicate. I mean, obviously, you can't go four for four every game. But I don't know. I tried different things. Like, okay, today I'm going to get so it's two not doubles. Like immediate. Like, it's it. not like immediate. That's what this is saying. That, that's what that podcast does. Is like there's a time lapse between what you put out into the universe and what you get back. It's your energy attracts like energy. Yeah. And so even if you start to doubt it a little bit, well, like they, the 
this analogy is you pick up both ends of the stick. So if you pick up a stick, you're picking up both ends. So you're picking up positive and you're picking up negative, right? Mm -hmm. But it's what you think about is what you're going to attract. So if I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to make an A or whatever on this test. And, but then you start doubting yourself, even though you don't like vocalize it or anything, but you've, you've, you've thought about that. Well, then that doubt, that, that has energy too. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So you really need to try to train yourself to think of the positive energy, the positive things, and not say, oh, well, it didn't happen, so how can this happen again? See what I'm saying? Because that's a different energy. Yes. And I do think it is like bathing. You have to revisit this sort of thing yes. frequently. Often. Because you will drift. I used to ride around with the power of positive thinking in my car by Norman Vincent Peale. And one of one of the primary phrases in the book is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so it's kind of a quote that you can internalize and mm-hmm. use to psych yourself up. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that people don't have these sort of tools yes. at their disposal. I think they do. You just got to know where to get them. Yeah. Some people aren't even going to search for no, them, they're not. which is unfortunate. I, that's why I posted that post the other day like these are my top podcasts if you're interested i listen to that every one of them every day at least and i go walk like you said and i list that's what i listen to whenever i go walk and that's like my me time do you feel like you're gonna miss out on quality thoughts because you're always listening to something when you walk because walking yeah is sometimes like i don't sometimes get... i don't um listen sometimes i just go mm, walk it's hard right yeah but like, i'm trying to, to do the I used to not listen to anything when I exercise. And now that I do, it's hard to exercise without it. I'm trying to do the, um, like the power of now, like I'm trying to be more present because that's in this world. That's hard. That's difficult. Like the guy that checked his phone, like, it's like, it's difficult to not do it, you know? So you're like trying to be more present, especially I have ADHD. And so my brain's kind of all over the place. And so I'm in, huh? No, Hmm. but I mean, I probably should. No, nothing. No, but I should. When we first had our child, I found myself not remembering like a second task. If, if I was given yeah. or wanted to do something in addition to something I planned to do, I would forget that second thing. And that was a new thing for me. And I yeah. didn't know if you know, I'm 40 or yeah. I didn't know what it was. And I talked to my doctor about it. Well, first I talked to some friends about it. Come to find out like five of my top eight friends are not only doing it themselves, but they're like, oh yeah, and my staff uses it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so prevalent. So I talked to my doctor about it and he was like, let's monitor it. You don't want to get on anything mm-hmm. and just yet. And mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I do feel like I've gotten better. What he claimed, what my doctor believed was that it was, although I don't feel stressed, it's just it's the stress. added yeah. stress into yeah, your life. Yeah, a lot of things going on and yeah. your kid. Yeah. When you have kids. Yeah, but I like to think... There's seven billion people walking around. Everybody has been through this. You're right. It's the way you manage it and look look at. Yeah. If I gave you a chance to ask one question of me, what would it be? I kind of already asked you this whenever you came to talk in my class, but it was your favorite place that you visited. So I've been to about sixty countries. So right. It's tough to say, and it depends on what you're after. Like if you were looking for a recommendation. If I had to go back to a place for 30 days tomorrow, it would be Bali. Okay. We love the island of Bali. It's lush. You feel healthier there, Mm -hmm. healthy yet energized. The people are really sincere, genuine people. 
It's it's not expensive. You can take a scooter around everywhere you want to go. Most That's how of, Key West is, kind of sounds like. Yeah. Have you been there? No. Oh, you need to go. I will. You can take a scooter. <laughs> we rose, we got like two scooter tickets. <laughs> I love scooters. Make sure you park them in the right spot. Yeah. They have scooter parking. We were not aware. <laughs> uh, the other thing about Bali is a lot of the rooms, you have a little splash pool to go with it. Oh, nice. Like a honeymoon sort of place. I would. It's a lot, like a high percentage of hotel rooms have that. How expensive is Bali? Not the flights yeah and it takes 22 hours to get there yeah oh wow it's a very popular honeymoon spot but if you can spend a month there it is wonderful the other thing is the food is is good and it's cheap and a lot in a lot of hotels they have room service like Mm -hmm. everywhere i've probably stayed in 10 different places there they have room service it's also diverse in that you can get the jungle experience, like in a place called Ubud, but then an hour to the south or the west, you'll get the beach experience. Very cool. Bali, Indonesia. Okay, I think we have done over two hours. Can you believe it? That is crazy. I know. How can people connect with you online if they would like to reach you? They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's how you found me, right? Yes. You saw that I was sharing. I share jobs for my students on there all the time. Awesome. So LinkedIn's probably the best place for people to find me because that's kind of where I post jobs and updates and stuff like that. So that's probably be where. So probably LinkedIn. Okay. And if somebody wanted to get a painting like this pelican, where would they go? Oh, they can go on Instagram or Facebook. Breast, brushed by Boudreaux. B-R-U-S-H-E-D. Brushed by Boudreaux. That's me. And your husband has a website too? He does. His is Original Design Woodworking. That's his Facebook. Original Design Woodworking. Got it. Melanie, really enjoyed it. Thank you yeah, very much Yeah, me too. For Thank you so this much. So it was so fun. Friends, I appreciate you listening. I realize you could be doing anything in the world, but you chose to spend your time with us. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode with Melanie, please copy the link and share it with a friend. I can be reached on Instagram and Twitter at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.